when I started doing it, I maybe somewhat naively thought like, you know, I'm a guy quitting his job to do this. People are going to think like, that's so cool. I have a degree in engineering. Everyone's going to want me. But I think realistically, people saw that I was considering quitting my job and were kind of, were probably hesitant to hire me because apparently it's kind of common to have people in like midlife crises want to go out and do wine work. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you'd like to support episodes like this being made, please check out the show's Patreon page at patreon.com slash halfhourintern, where if you support the show, you will get extra content for most of the episodes that are released, including today's episode with Brent. So today's episode is with Brent Mayu, who is a wine harvest intern. Uh, This is such a cool, awesome job, and I feel like it's the perfect sort of thing to have on this show. Brent was a engineer for a living and uh, one day he was just sitting at his desk and he was like, damn, I just cannot see myself sitting at the same sort of desk for the next 30 years and doing this for the rest of my life. And he really, really enjoyed wine. And he had been uh, learning about wine in his local town. And he decided to quit his job and just start traveling around the world as a harvest intern, um, helping people harvest grapes and do whatever they needed as he built up the chops to one day become a winemaker himself. So we've already had an, an interview with a winemaker on this show. So this would be like a step down below that, trying to work your way up to being a winemaker. So, so far, um, after quitting his job as an engineer, Brent has gone to California, he's gone to New Zealand, he's gone to Australia, and he's gone to France. So he's gotten gotten to go all over the world uh, while trying to uh, learn about wine, and he's having just an absolutely awesome time doing it. So uh, really cool job, really cool story, and a really cool dude. So without further ado, here is Wine Harvest Intern. Brent, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, the last wine guy that I had on the show was more of a traditional winemaker, had a wine background. Um, and I, I'm so excited to have you on the show to be kind of more maybe inspirational for people in, in terms of like, it's okay if you didn't choose this path right off the bat, you can go for it now anyway. So I would love to start out with you telling us a little bit about your background and what you were doing before winemaking and kind of like what inspired you to switch to doing this and what you're what you've been doing for the past uh like year to two years yeah man i i remember that other podcast and so when i talked to you about this i thought i still had a little bit slightly different angle to tell people about but uh i uh like many people i guess after high school had no idea what the hell i wanted to do with my life And people told me because I was good at math and science, I should be an engineer. And I didn't know what else to do. So I studied engineering and got a degree in mechanical engineering, then worked kind of all over the place. That's when we first met in San Francisco was I was out there for like business stuff. Right. Um, Worked in the Caribbean for a bit. And that was fun because I was in the Caribbean just partying. Um, But then I got relocated back to the States and I realized, you know, like, I just did not want to do this. 
for the rest of my life. Like actually like sitting in my office and thinking about spending the next like 30 to 40 years of my life at that desk was like terrifying. It's, it's uh. such a hard thing to think about. And it's, I, I love the way that you started that, which is the way that a lot of people kind of pick their jobs, which is not that somebody told you that you're good at something, but it's almost like you analyze your own skill set or um, like I like talking to people and I'm good at it. So maybe I'd be good at sales or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And then you do it and you realize like just because I'm good at something doesn't mean that this job is like exactly what I should yeah. be doing every day. Yeah, 100 percent. And I honestly, I didn't even at that point, I think a lot of people when they're 18 years old don't know what they're good at. Like, you haven't been exposed to so many things. Like, you haven't been able to try a lot of things. Totally. That, that's something else. But I think a lot of people should definitely just travel around, explore a bit before they commit to a career path at, like, 18 years old. Um, but, yeah, I and so growing up, I my family's really involved in the restaurant industry in New Orleans. And uh, I'm back here now, not working for the family, but just in restaurants until I go back to Australia. Um, and so it was always part of my life. I was, my family, we always like had dinner together. Food was always like a, a big, a big thing. And I was kind of always around wine growing up. Like we weren't getting hammered as kids, but uh, parents let me taste stuff. And then like throughout college, I was kind of into wine. Um, I realized I liked drinking it more than other stuff, especially beer. Uh, I've never been super into beer, as unpopular as that is. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, I moved back to the States from the Caribbean and uh, just really started to research wine and fell in love with it and thought maybe I wanted to be like a sommelier, perhaps, and, since I had that restaurant background and got in with the Houston Somalia Association, a big group of Psalms there that are really all about just raising the, the wine knowledge of everyone in the industry there. And learned a ton really quickly. I realized, I started learning a lot. And as I learned more and more, I realized how much more there was to learn and how little I actually knew. And just like everything that I didn't know was really intriguing. And like the the complications and like kind of how wine is such an accumulation of like history, art, culture, like one guy in some like backwater village in France is like labor for a year. And then it's transported all the way across the world for like tons of people to try. Like they're just really inspiring to me. And so started learning this things about like I guess working as a sommelier um, but I thought maybe wine production would be more of my gig and uh, so I kind of started I guess the so, so the big decision maker for me that got me to quit my job was I was like leaving work and like ditching work to go to these sommelier meetings <laughs> <laughs> and i like had some pretty good excuses like i had been in a bike crash because i used to race bicycles and was going to uh physical therapy for a while um and so i had like one or two physical therapy appointments a week and then like once i was done with physical therapy i just didn't tell anyone i was done and kept like 
leaving work for those appointments, but really I was going to these sommelier meetings. Right. <laughs> and I realized, like, look, it, if if there's something I like enough to, like, be dishing out on work for it, like, pretty routinely, I, th- I should probably just quit my quit my job and do that. Uh, so that's kind of how I... That's when I realized I definitely needed to get out of engineering and do something related to wine. And these meetings that you were going to, was it towards getting some sort of SOM degree or was this just for the sake of education? Um, these were just for education, but really it was just a good setup, a way to like network. Like Mondays would be kind of like more technical theory days. They would either have someone teaching a course on a certain region or just doing blind tasting. And then Wednesdays would be like a distributor or importer would come in and show us some of their wines or a winemaker would come in. And uh, actually kind of talking with the winemakers that would come in is what really got me interested in winemaking. A lot of the conversations with Psalms were very, when they would talk about wine, they'd talk about certain characteristics, like certain flavors. And, but I really wanted to know how this wine, like, tastes this way like why why what what was done in the vineyard or what was done in the cellar that like made this happen so when i got to ask like winemakers questions i felt like i was learning a lot more and that's kind of what got me to decide to go and try winemaking yeah that's such a good pure way to um to approach a, a job shift uh like you were saying the fact that you're taking so much time out of what should be your work week to go and learn these things, um, which isn't necessarily good. But the thing that is is good about that and your approach to it is that there was nothing of benefit really for you. And this is such like an important thing, I feel like, to, um, to try to think about in life and that I, I try to focus on, but it's very difficult, um, which is just doing things, but with no exact goal for them. And uh, and no direct benefit to yourself. Like I guess that's why I was asking about the uh, like, oh, was this working towards a SOM degree or something like that? And it's like, no, I it just interested me so much. Um, so it, it's like you're going to these things without a a really like direct thing uh, benefiting you. It's just like this is how much I enjoy this, and this is how much I care about it. And typically, things like that are the things that lead to a real benefit in your life. Like when you are trying to put yourself first and looking at how something can benefit you or how you're going to win because you did this thing, uh, usually the results aren't as good as if you're going into it just kind of more openly. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. Like, I I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I just knew I, I was interested in this. And I think it doesn't have to be wine, honestly, any career path. If you're... If you show genuine interest and passion, like people are going to pick up on that and help you out. And that's how you're going to get, that's how you're going to make friends, network, and eventually get jobs. And I mean, I don't want to, I'm not saying I'm more passionate or interested in wine than other people, but I I, I personally focus a lot of my energies on it and uh, it's worked out for me so far. It's great. So let's talk about getting your first wine job. Um, how did this all go down? So now you 
are able to kind of travel the world and go to all these interesting yeah. places. Your first wine job was in California, right? Yeah, that's correct. How so, the hell did you meet someone in California <laughs> and, and like get them to hire you when it's like you don't really know what you're doing yet? Uh, yeah. So I started doing it pretty naively. Like I'd been drinking wine. I, and as I said, I had met a couple of winemakers, um, not so many from California, um, through the Houston Somalia Station Association, but I, I knew some. And I really, I started just emailing people. Everyone that I had met there from California, I started emailing pretty much any, I would Google, I would go to the websites of wineries that I liked, try to find like a contact info, contact information for their winemakers. Usually there was only like a general information at blah, blah, blah website, but I would just like fill, guess the names and email addresses of winemakers to get in touch with them to see if they would hire me for harvest. Uh, and then there's a website called Wine Jobs um, or Wine Jobs Online. I can't remember the exact URL, but if you Google it in the States, you'll find it. And that's actually a really good resource if anyone was interested in trying, trying out, like working a harvest at a winery. A lot of the guys in California will post listings there, and there's seriously tons, tons of them. Uh, probably like starting in April, there will be a lot of postings on there. And there's just a job description and you send out emails when i started doing it i maybe somewhat naively thought like you know i'm a guy quitting his job to do this people are gonna think like that's so cool i have a degree in engineering everyone's gonna want me but i think realistically people saw that i was considering quitting my job and were kind of were probably hesitant to hire me because Apparently, it's kind of common to have people in like midlife crises want to go out and do wine work, and a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people wind up bailing at the last minute. But um, you know, I honestly, I should go back and check out like how many emails I sent during that time period. It was a lot, and I had quite a few Skype interviews. Um, but finally, found uh, some, found a couple of people willing to hire me. And decided to go work for Flowers, um, a Pinot Noir and Chardonnay producer in Sonoma, because they have some fantastic vineyards like out the actual Sonoma coast, like west, 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 like the first or second ridge in from the ocean. And I, I wanted to actually work for someone that had their own vineyards because I was interested in the vine growing and viticulture. And um, just in my conversations with, with a couple of the winemakers there, um, it seemed like a good place, a good fit. And so, uh, what were what did they hire you to do when you had nothing? You know, up to this point, you've done nothing in wine. So, oh, what yeah. are they hiring you for? So, I guess let's let me just kind of explain how, like, the role of a we'll call it a harvest intern or seller at that's like the kind of the job we're talking about right now. So, all year long, grapes are growing. When the grapes are ready, they get picked. And then they're brought into the cellar. Um, and then a lot of wineries are fairly large. The winemaker can't do everything himself. So they hire a bunch of interns or cellarettes. And these are the guys doing all the cleaning, all the heavy lifting, all the forklifting, anything 
it's not a like super glamorous job. Uh, it's a lot of hard work, but it's like the it's the entry level sort of gig, the bottom of the totem pole. Um, but it, it's still a lot of fun. Uh, so a normal day for me, I guess, would be, you know, show up. I was usually on the morning shift at Flowers, so I'd get in at like four in the morning. The grapes would be coming in as we we're getting there. We'd set up the the processing line. Wait, wait, wait! So, Why is everything done so early? The grapes are coming in. So these grapes are being picked at like two a.m. or something, and then they're coming oh, in yeah, at four. Yeah. yeah, it's really common in uh, not all over the world. In California, though, um, harvesting at night is very common because the temp it gets really hot during the day, and the grapes will be really, really, really warm. If you pick later in the day, which can cause a lot of problems for the ferment. Um, well, there's a lot of different reasons for doing it, but a lot of people for this, for multiple reasons, choose to pick at night or first thing in the morning. So the grapes will come in cold and it does, it can help ferments be a bit healthier. And it also allows you to do a cold soak, which a lot of California producers like to do with Pinot Noir where the grapes essentially kind of sit and uh, are maybe somewhat macerated at a cold temperature before the actual fermentation starts. And this allows, allows you to get some color and flavor compounds out without extracting more tannin, right. the uh, astringent bitter characteristic that can be in a wine. So it, it's doable in California because... Uh, because the labor force is willing to do it. Uh, like I said, it's an, something I'm not super happy about, but a lot of the harvesting is done by un Mexican laborers because, or people from other parts of Central and South America. Right, a lot of undocumented um, immigrants working yeah, in the fields they, in California. They, they work really hard. Those guys, like, man... Honestly, put me to shame. They can pick faster, work longer hours, and like they're all just super nice. But they're, and they're willing to do it in Australia and New Zealand. Like any workers there are not willing to work in the middle of the night for like the wages they're getting paid. Yeah, for like twelve hours straight. Yeah. So all right, so you're there at four. These scrapes get brought into you. Yeah, we set up the processing equipment. Um, Every winery kind of does things differently, but generally for Pinot Noir, you bring the grapes in. They'll either be, they'll kind of go onto essentially a conveyor belt system where people are standing on the sides and they pull out any non-grape material, uh, call it mogs material other than grapes. Um, so leaves, snakes, frogs, bugs, um, if there's problems with the grapes, like if there's rot or mildew or any other, anything you don't, my, what I always say is like, if it's a grape you don't want to eat yourself, you should probably pull it out. So the grapes get sorted and then go into whatever tank they're going to be fermented in or whatever fermentation vessel. So we would clean all this equipment, um, clean all the tanks. Basically prepare everything. Winemaking as a whole is a lot of cleaning. Clean before you do everything, clean up after, so you're always soaking wet and usually freezing cold. 
because <laughs> during during harvest it's usually pretty cold. Yes, yeah, so you're harvesting and, in what October? Um, in California, it's uh, it's so weird, hard to say right now. Like the drought has kind of affected a lot of things, and things have been harvest has been earlier and, and earlier. But I think generally late August through September into early October. Okay, it's like the ballpark harvest harvest dates yeah so yeah early morning in the yeah fall is not going to be very warm um so are you by the way uh, are they giving you a space to stay on their property like a a lot of times wineries have you know these really nice properties and stuff were you staying there on the property or did you also have to like pay rent somewhere else and wake up at like three just so you can make it to the winery at four so or were you like rolling out of bed and walking (laughs) right over very, very thankfully, they provided housing for us. Um, it, not everyone does, but we were out in the middle of nowhere in Casadero, California. If anyone wants to Google that, there's like not much out there. But they rented, like, a, I guess it was kind of like a vacation home that the family that owns it would just rent out to people. But the winery rented it out for all the interns, and it, it's a pretty cool spot, big house. Like jacuzzi is on top of like this ridge. Like I could see the Pacific Ocean in the morning when I woke up and looked out my window. <laughs> Wait, what? And they didn't they didn't even own this place? They just rented it for you guys? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was just like a five minute drive from the winery. Amazing. Uh, so yeah, they but some some wineries like that are in actual towns, like they might have a house for the, all the interns or they'll they can some they'll sometimes help you find housing. I think unless you're out in the middle of nowhere though, they usually you're usually expected to pay rent, I think, to like find your own place. I'm pretty sure that's the most common way. Yeah, for sure. So all right, so you sort the grapes. What other sorts of activities are you doing in the course of the day? I mean the one thing I was really into was tasting tanks, and that's there's more of the winemakers an assistant winemaker would do that, but I kind of expressed interest and they would let me tag along. So the grapes get processed, get put into tank, and then fermentation eventually starts. And so once or twice a day, like the winemakers will go around, take, look at every tank. They'll look at things like the temperature, the, uh, the cap, the the top of the tank see what's happening they'll taste it you know you're smelling looking for smells that can be a precursor to like some problem or a warning of some problem with the ferment which would dictate how you treat the wine that day so that was the next thing like the winemakers in the morning would go taste the tanks see what needs to be done um and then so kind of normal activities would be punch downs where you go, you're on top of the tank and you literally just push the cap down and the cap is all the grapes that have kind of floated to the top and they form like a cap, like pretty hard barrier. You'll break it, push it down into the wine. And this kind of serves a couple of purposes. You you're extracting more color and flavor from the skins you're incorporating some oxygen, which can help um, the yeasts ferment more sugar into alcohol. 
and you're homogenizing the, the fermenter. So mm -hmm. ferm fermentation can be really strong in one part of the tank and then kind of slow in another part. The temperature can be really high in one little pocket and then really low in another. So you kind of mix it up. Uh, and this just kind of create helps create a, a healthy fermentation. You, we would, at flowers, we wouldn't do this, but uh, a lot of producers will do pump overs as a, another way to extract more color and flavor and homogenize the tank and keep the ferment healthy. I quickly learned that there's more than one way to skin a cat yeah, when you're making one. And there's no wrong way. I think the best wines are people that have just like paid a lot of attention and figured out what works for their setup, their grapes, and the place they are. Uh, and that takes a lot of experimentation. So, so I would love to know, Brent, what was your thought process at the end of your first week, at the end of your first month? I would imagine that when you, uh, you know, you quit your job, you managed to get a couple of people to offer you a job in the wine industry. You come out to California, you got this cool house you're staying in, you're waking up early. Like you're, there's probably like so much excitement. And then yeah. like after a week, it's like you're still waking up at 4 a.m. every day and it may be like a little bit of uncertainty has the possibility of setting in and anxiety and this and that. Like, did any of that ever happen? And, and what was your whole thought process uh, like at the, yeah, at the end of like your first big week or your first month or something? Uh, honestly, I, I freaking loved it. Man, I quickly, I was very, very quickly just into everything i realized like yeah this is cool i i wasn't 100 percent sure like that's that i wanted to be doing exactly that for the rest of my life but i knew i was on the right track and it yeah i wasn't having any problems there's by there's certainly a lot of kind of uncertainty and apprehension later on when i was because this, this job was pretty much just for harvest, like, at max, like, three-month period. And so I had to figure out something to do after that. And as my harvest job was coming to an end, and I was realizing I had to find something else to do, and so I was looking around for jobs, there was a lot of uncertainty. But um, that's kind of... I'm trying to think, like, how to make this all cohesive. So I guess... I was a harvest intern and there's a lot of people that are like harvest interns for a couple of years as they're working towards being a winemaker somewhere or they're just doing it as a way to travel. The way, the reason that it works really well for travel is because, because of the, the split in growing seasons or the, the way the growing seasons are flip flopped across the equator. You can work harvest in the northern hemisphere and then go down to the southern hemisphere and work another harvest. And so you can get two harvests in, in a year. You can even, do, if you're really, really crazy, you can fit in like three, maybe even four. A lot of people will just like kind of flip flop back and forth across the equator, going to like cool places and just helping make wine. And this is what you did, right? So after you yeah. finish up your job in California and how you said like, you were kind of like, damn, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. Is that when you started looking south of the equator and thought, all right, I can go there now? Yep. So, and then the like, just constant 
emailing spree started again. Uh, kind of like I had some wineries I was interested in in Australia and New Zealand. Sent out a lot of emails. Um, and so first round, when I was trying to get a job in California, I knew like no one in the industry. But then after my time there, like I had friends. Uh, I met a lot of people. So my network was, I, I just had a network at this point before I had nothing. Uh, so I had people kind of put me in touch with some people. And the winemaker at Flowers put me in touch with, the, pretty much just vouched for me, with the winemaker at this place, Burn Cottage in New Zealand. And uh, so I got a job there. And in January, went down to New Zealand. Nice. And you were doing the same stuff in New Zealand that you've been doing in California? Yes, pretty much. Though, though I went down to New Zealand and actually I was there for the growing season. So I, I started working in the vineyards uh, in January and harvest didn't really start until March. So I had like two and a half months of vineyard work going into it. So we learned a little bit about that from the winemaker, but as an intern, what were you doing in the fields then? Is it just that their winery is probably so much larger that they need more people out there to be inspecting different areas and making sure everything's going well? Yeah. Um, and so in news, it depends. This this vineyard was very they're super organic, biodynamic, which I was interested in. Uh, a lot of the work had, really needs to be done by hand um they had tractors for some work but there's just this producer was very very meticulous in the vineyard and so they would just need people like boots on the ground uh like canopy management i guess would be one thing so managing the amount of leaves on the vines and like how much sunlight the grapes are getting the winemaker and vineyard manager would just tell us like, okay, we're going to go through this block today and we're going to maybe trim all these vines down to like a certain point. So we would go just snip, 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 snip along the top to keep them all like nice and balanced. Um, we would, one thing is like lifting wires as the vines grow up, you have to raise the wires on the trellising system to support them. Um, later on in the growing season, we would do fruit thinning, which is something that some regions do a lot of, where the vine will put on maybe, it will have maybe more grapes than it can actually ripen on its own. So you have to cut off some of the weaker, less, less ideal bunches and kind of create a healthier balance for the vine so that it can ripen grapes well and produce good fruit. It was a lot, a lot of work, but not a lot of different things that we we're doing. It's kind of like long, monotonous hours. That's when I would listen to your podcast. Honestly. <laughs> That's D great. Listen to a lot of podcasts in the venue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was just long days, but it was nice. Like actually seeing all the, dis not all of them, but a lot of the decisions that are made in the vineyard to create good quality grapes that will eventually make their way into the winery. Did, is the pay pretty consistent? I mean, you've done this in multiple different countries now. Is the pay pretty consistent um, 
like across all the countries that you went to or does it vary a lot? Um, uh, it varies. It varies a lot. And you definitely like the, Australia is known for having the best pay. Um, and it, it really just depends on like the labor laws in places. Australia has a high minimum wage and I, I'm pretty sure you, you will still get overtime there. Uh, so a lot of people like to go to Australia. New Zealand has lower wages and no minimum wage, but it's just still a really cool place to go. Uh, California is pretty good. I think I was making fourteen fifty an hour and working a lot of overtime uh, and had that like housing included, and we got fed a lot. Yeah, um, man, fourteen fifty an hour when you are paying nothing for your living is pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. And we were working like 60 during the peak of harvest, like 60 to 70 hours a week. Now in, in, California, in California, was that the only time that you had uh, living paid for, for you? Or was this like commonplace amongst other places that you went in New Zealand? They, I, I paid for my own place. Like they helped me find a, a family to live with and I just rented a room for them. Yeah, and actually, during my time in New Zealand, I met a really, really cool couple. Is this Japanese couple that had just moved down there, and they were making making wines, kind of in this way that I was interested in. Um, so, there's something we can talk about a little bit later. But like, they were making what people in the industry in the industry right now. There's this whole thing about like natural wine, um, and so this this couple they were making natural wines like very little intervention in the cellar, essentially just like harvest the grapes and like let them ferment and you don't add anything to them. No preservatives, like no acid adjustments. You don't um, filter them. You just let them, let it do their thing. And uh, I learned a lot from them and really I just discovered a lot through them. Like, I, I didn't, I had kind of had this idea that I liked, I wanted wine to be this way, but I hadn't really had wine from anyone make that. I hadn't really drank a lot of wine that was made in this way, I guess. So I wasn't even sure if what I wanted existed. And uh, I saw them doing it and through them, like, or tried some other wines made this way and kind of a natural process. And through them, like, got some contacts in France. And that's kind of what got me going that way. Um, but after my time in New Zealand, uh, I went to Australia just after their harvest. Um, but they had a really, in the Adelaide Hills, just outside of Adelaide, they have a really cool wine growing community. Um, and a lot of them are working very naturally, making friggin' phenomenal wines. Uh, so I kind of just hung out with them and did a lot of vineyard work. Uh, I was there f for the winter, so I was doing pruning, um, just like every day in the vineyard, listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of music, and just kind of pruning the vines. And pruning is where you like set the vines up for like how they're going to behave for the next year, and even like a couple years after. It's almost like a puzzle. You look at how the vines been growing in the past year, and then. Uh, you'll cut it back to to hopefully just balance again like the bigger 
and kind of reproductive energies of the vine. Hmm. And with this community, with these guys, Gentlefolk was the winery I was working with. Um, you know, I was also doing a lot of bottling, labeling, um, kind of some blending and testing different blends for wines to be released. Um, it was just a good time. Everyone there, I, I was starting to find like wines that I liked, but also kind of, I discovered that I was, I really want to live somewhere where there's just a good community around me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, they're just kind of like creating this kick-ass community. Everyone's got their own gardens. Like everyone just cooks their own food, like bakes awesome bread. They're opening like their own restaurants and pubs and just kind of building this ideal community for themselves. Uh, all centered around just drinking a lot of wine, obviously. That's great. Uh, so it's, it's a cool spot. What, um, so now that you've experienced making wine in all these different areas, I would love to know if there's any like negative that you see. Like what what's the most difficult part about working in the wine world on this like equator hopping sort of thing i definitely it's finding the next job is always a bit difficult because you're talking to people on like the other side of the world um you're usually pretty busy during harvest when you're trying to find a job so you're like getting home late at night then like having a couple of skype interviews then winemakers are usually pretty terrible about emailing and maintaining contacts. So you'll like email them. They'll be like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And then you'll go like two weeks without hearing from them. Uh, So uncertainty can be a problem. And then I guess you're not, I mean, you're not rolling in the Benjamins when you're just like working harvests. So you have to budget well in order to be able to afford like flights across the world. So you mentioned the part about not rolling in the Benjamins. I would love to know your perspective on and how maybe it changed over time um, with r- relation to money and ego and these sorts of things. A difficult thing for so many people when they consider leaving behind a, a job that has a certain amount of status to it um, for one that doesn't or a job where they've built up a particular reputation or um, you know, gotten themselves to a certain level in a, in a career. And then to start from scratch again, it, like I said, if nothing else, it's a big blow to the ego, sort of. You know? It's like, all right, well, I'm yeah. this engineer, and I've done it for the past eight years, and I've made it here, and now I'm just going to blow that all up to go. And like you said, like now I'm just have headphones on, and I'm clipping some plants in a field like i'm a field worker um did did that ever bother you is it something that you considered before you started and then maybe has it changed now looking back on it or, or does it has it changed from the actual experience itself I, i've definitely experienced a lot of that in varying degrees like when i was first when i was first deciding to quit my job um I was a little nervous, almost embarrassed to like tell my like engineering coworkers and friends like what I was doing. Like, yeah, I'm quitting my high paying job to go like be a seller rat, like intern. Like any of either of those terms are not very uh, 
just not they don't sound like luxurious well, and more difficult uh, for, you, for the person themselves like for you internally is the part where it's like this is something that maybe i was supposed to do earlier in life like i've worked my way up past this now like yeah. I, i'm past the intern phase in my life i'm now a full-blown engineer and i can and I, you know and am respected as such and now i'm going to go and be you know sweeping the floor and doing yeah. the things that the other people don't really want to do so i will i I did feel that way, but because of that, I def I pushed myself really hard to try to get through that phase, and I wanted to like learn as much as possible as quickly as possible. Because uh, I I never looked I didn't look down on anyone. Um, I definitely felt like I was taking a step back, kind of in as far as progress in a career, though. So I didn't think like being an in- intern or like seller rat was like a shitty job but i realized like i guess i felt like i kind of wasted time <laughs> being an engineer and now that i was starting something new i really just wanted to like get caught back up and so i was like always busting my ass always asking questions asked a ton of stupid questions i'm sure probably annoyed a lot of people i definitely annoyed people like some of the winemakers that I would ask questions <laughs> of, they're like, they're like, Brent, this is, this is not, an, not an appropriate time for questions. Like, it was too busy. But I'm like, I just wanted to learn and get caught, caught up. Um, some people definitely, as far as ego, like, I never really had a problem with it. I, I don't know. I just wanted to be happy. Like, when I talked to some of my family members, I remember one of my uncles was like, well, man, you're giving up this like high-paying job. He's a little incredulous. He's just like, and you're gonna do this to like go be a farmer? Like, what? Why? And I was like, at that time, I I didn't really think of it as farming. Now I definitely do, and I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with being a farmer. But at the time, I was just like, uh, yeah. You're, I was trying to kind of spin it to a lot of people that I was going to make it something different, that I was going to use a lot of my engineering knowledge to like, uh, I don't know, make, make things better, make processes more efficient, which I did somewhat, but, uh, no, I just like started over and tried really hard. Cool, man. I love that. All right, Brent, let's start uh, winding this thing down, man. So when you look back now, from from when you were like in your first week at your first place in California to now, like how much do you feel like you've learned? Oh, a shit ton. <laughs> uh, I feel <laughs> pretty confident in my winemaking abilities. Like I, I can walk into almost any cellar and like during harvest and like help out, like and turn anyone turn grapes into wine yeah whatever they would ask of you you would be able to do it yeah do you feel like Um, you would be comfortable as a winemaker right now yeah it's that's frustrating right now because now i'm getting to the point where i just want to make my own wine i just need to figure out the way to do that (laughs) but uh i think i'll probably i'm going to go back down to australia to gentle folk um just in a few weeks now uh to help them with harvest and 
I think that may be my last one before I start my own project somewhere. Yeah. Having this time with this job where you get paid less and maybe doesn't have the status of your last job or the security and, and doesn't have a lot of the things that your last job had, um, but just has a lot of different things in its place. Has it kind of philosophically changed the way that you picture and think about work? Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was in France one day, like just sh- shooting the shit over some beers with the winemaker I was working with there, we, I was saying one day, he, he kind of like asked me, like, hey, w- I totally forgot about this. Like, would, would you mind like after this afternoon, like going to like take care of something in the cellar. And I was like, Oh yeah, no sweat. And I mentioned like how, like, honestly, super happy now. Like I really don't even think of this as work. And he, he said to me like, no, Brent, this is work. Like this is definitely work, but you just have had the wrong idea of what work is. (laughs) You've grown up like loathing work and like not wanting to go to work, but really like, work can be something really enjoyable that you look forward to that's great man so if uh if all of this sounds really great to somebody and they are thinking that they want to follow your same path and go ahead and quit their job and just start reaching out to wineries or um learning from some people locally and then reaching out to wineries what advice would you give to anyone that wanted to kind of follow in your footsteps yeah i i honestly think anyone interested in the wine industry uh it's it's very in it'd be very helpful to do to work a harvest no matter what you want to do after that whether you're interested in production importing distribution or being a sum um if you're in the united states like seriously go out for a harvest to california or oregon or Washington, um, you probably don't even need to quit your job. You could probably go out for like even just like two weeks to help out, but just start emailing people. Um, that, like I said earlier, there's wine jobs online, which is a good resource for uh, for North America, and people will post job openings for uh, harvest positions probably started in March. Um, seriously, just go out and do it. <laughs> it's hard work, uh, but it's really rewarding. Like you're surrounded by wine and people that are passionate about wine and it allows you to travel a lot. Like that's one of the things besides being interested in wine was I wanted to travel more. And I, I've been able to do that. been to some pretty cool places like the last year or so. Yeah, man. Oceanfront property with the hot tub. Love it. Yeah. Oh, man. Good times in the hot tub. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Awesome. Brent, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, Blake. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. 
I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.